Broadcasting live from the Wellness Wonderland, you're listening to the Wellness Wonderland Radio. I'm Katie, and each week I chat with the most inspirational people on the planet on how to stay inspired in all areas of life. As you listen, feel free to tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout, or use the hashtag Wellness Wonderland. I'd love to hear your aha moments. So grab your headphones and listen on the go, or cuddle up with a notebook as we dive in deep with authentic conversations right here in Wonderland. Welcome back, everyone, to the Wellness Wonderland Radio. I am so thrilled to have all the way from Australia, the New York transplant, Michaela Ezra in Wonderland. She is a spirited and passionate fashion designer, textile artist, and illustrator. Michaela uses fashion as a medium through which to influence the mood and emotion of the woman who wears her clothes. She has been involved in collaborations with Anthropology, Bloomingdale's, Neiman Marcus, and Saks. She's clearly a talented lady, a talented artist, and she's also illustrated a number of books and done so many design projects. One of my favorites is for my mentor and her best friend, Gabrielle Bernstein. She's designed these beautiful quotes. And clearly, she's so passionate and talented, and she's also a Jewish mystic and a huge inspiration for me in the realm of spirituality. So I'm so excited to dive in super deep with her and just have my favorite kind of conversation to have about inspiration, spirituality, and fashion. So thank you so much for stopping by Wonderland, Michaela. Thank you so much for having me. That was such a beautiful introduction. Yeah, of course. So let's start by um, zooming the lens back a little bit and kind of introduce everyone to you and tell us, have you always had an eye for design and fashion and, and been creative or like, did you know at a young age that you wanted to go into fashion? Um, well, I think my parents knew I was creative when I was two years old and I decided to paint our staircase in face creams that my mom had bought. Oh my gosh. The artistic calling goes way, way back as far as I can remember. And, um, that was always something that was very innate to me and, and really just a part of my everyday, um, and creativity, you know, obviously expresses itself visually and that's very much a part of, of my work now, but also just, um, thought process. And I was always writing and reading and drawing. So that was, absolutely my escape from a very young age. And um, I think I, you know, my first memory of becoming seriously interested in fashion is around the age of 12. But when I was 18, I let, you know, finished school and, and I had the dilemma that a lot of people at that age have, which is where to take my life and where to take my career. And although um, fashion and, and the creative path was very much um a part of my heart and soul, I was also very cognizant of, of wanting to succeed in business and, and, um, you know, honor like the scientific parts of my mind that, that I had like 
um, sort of worked on during the years and, and I actually ended up doing a business degree st- straight out of school. So I did take like a bit of a deviation before I entered the world of fashion, like from a formal education standpoint. Um, and, and after I finished my business degree, I ended up applying to fashion school and I was accepted and that began my formal career. That's really cool and really interesting piece right there that you, you know, had both sides of it and you, not just the creative, but the really practical and the business side and that you almost, that you did that first and then didn't let the creative side fizzle, instead went and did that afterwards. I think that's really interesting and probably having that business side of things has really helped you grow your career and your business. Certainly, it's given me um, a really... Um, expanded perspective when it comes to entering the workforce and, and having that knowledge is invaluable. But I I would say my artistic pursuits really lie at my core, whereas um, the business degree was probably something that I did main, maybe because it was more um, something that I thought would be good for me as opposed to my heart's calling. And I think your heart's calling always has a habit of knocking back yeah. on that door and calling at you. And, um, and, and it was a voice that, that I could not ignore. So after completing the business degree, it, it was something that, that I was very much propelled to follow and, and trace and, and see through. I think that right there, you know, already is a great lesson for people to take away from this, that, you know, the heart's calling, you know, that was a great quote that you said there, it it doesn't stop, you know, you're not going to be able to silence that knocking. So I think that's a great example of that. Absolutely, absolutely. So did you always know at that point that you wanted to um, come to New York City and what inspired you um, to come to the city and what inspires you from living there now? So I would definitely classify myself as more of a planner than someone who um, takes big life changes and journeys and decisions on a whim. But coming to New York was one of those times in my life where my instincts definitely led the way. And um, I had completed a a three-year degree as a fashion designer and I was invited to show a collection at Australian Fashion Week, which I did, and I was 24 at the time, and it was an unbelievable honor to participate in in that um, in that showing. And I had in my mind that from there I would go on and I would create a business that would stem from this first collection. And um, and I had my path in Australia really sort of set as to how it would develop. And someone that I was, it was a mentor and a teacher at the time, you know, suggested to me that I consider working in um, New York or London or somewhere in Europe. And when she said New York, something really triggered in me. And and there was a sense there that the world suddenly expanded way beyond the town where I grew up. I grew up in Sydney, Australia, which is no small city. But suddenly this sense of, possibility and experience, life experience that I could get and and um, revel in at that time was at my fingertips. And once that seed was sown, I couldn't help but want to follow it through. So I um, decided that despite the fact that I did have opportunities back home, I was going to 
get a flight to New York, which I did, and I, I came here with a bag of clothes and um, I went around and I knocked on doors and I was very fortunate that just a few weeks after arriving here, I was offered a job. So I decided then and there that I would accept the job and um, they sponsored me to come here to work and and I and I just followed that path and I, I really never thought that seven years later or seven and a half years later I would still be here. I thought that that was something that would just um, occupy me for a year or two but um, but it, it continued to occupy me until today. <laughs> so here I am. That's amazing. So what kept you there and why um, why do you love it now and what inspires you about being there now? So many, so many things, and I always say that it was it was one of the best decisions that I ever made coming here, or best non decisions. Something that I didn't really think through, and I I didn't think you were guided years into the future, very much so. Um, and and I think it w- was a really beautiful example of me um, trusting my instinct and letting go of the results, letting go of the outcome, and and not trying to plan ahead, but just seeing. Um, where the journey would take me. And um, so first and foremost, that life lesson is invaluable and and it's something that I have to continually remind myself today when I try and plan ahead or I try and calculate what a result will be. I have to go back to that 24-year-old Michaela who got on a plane without knowing any outcome, really fearlessly with a lot of ambition and courage and enthusiasm and and those, um, those qualities really paved the way for me here. So you were asking um, what what kept me there, what kept me here. I think this city has an amazing, amazing energy and magnetic power to bring you to whatever you need at the time if you're open to it. So when I arrived, I had the mindset of a a young fashion designer and I I really wanted to achieve in that industry and I wanted to engage and immerse myself in the world of fashion and whatever you want in the city it's readily available to an extreme so that was that was something that I needed at that point in my life and I was able to dive right in and I experienced the depths of the fashion industry and um, so many different things it had to offer. And um, and it was very fulfilling in many ways and it was very eye-opening in other ways. So for the first part of my time here, it was certainly my work that was, that was keeping me here and the potential of that work and the people that I was meeting, the experiences I was having, the things that I was learning. And um, slowly it sort of mutated to the friendships that I began to have. So then my friendships became such a core of my experience in New York that that it wasn't just my work that was keeping me here, but it was the relationships that I was having. So I found that, that in this city there is such a beautiful openness people have to meeting other people and engaging with them and really connecting on a level that, that I didn't experience when I was in Sydney because I had an established group of friends in a comfort zone that I was in growing up. And um, I was so inspired by these different people from different places and everyone who comes here, you know, you need a certain passion and a certain drive to maintain living in this city. It requires a huge amount of energy. So you meet people from, from 
all over the world, each with um, just an amazing, amazing capacity for life and uh, and um, desire to engage in the city and to meet other people and to pursue their dreams. And, and I found that just so riveting and it, and it really, really held me aloft. And I, I made some I've made some wonderful, wonderful lifelong friends over the years who um, inspire me and guide me and are really central parts of my life. One of them who you mentioned is is Gabrielle, who I met very serendipitously when I... Yeah, I want to hear. Tell us us about it. Uh, Well, um, we... How did we meet? We we actually met in a nightclub, believe it or not. (laughs) And, um, And there was an immediate connection and... Um, we lost touch and after me returning to Australia to get my visa and coming back to the city, I was on a street in the West Village, as you know, so many stories in New York are set on a specific corner on a specific street. (laughs) So I was on Greenwich Avenue in the West Village and I was standing outside a coffee shop and and very upset that I had to stand outside because it was November, which was really cold for me, especially coming from Australia. November was horribly cold at that time and um and my friend said to me you know there's a girl calling your name across the street and I said that's impossible I, I don't know anyone here and he said no really there's a girl turn around and I, and I turned around and Gabby was running across the street and I'm like oh my goodness that's the girl from the nightclub <laughs> and and we really bonded instantly and um and we were very, you know, connected by spirit from from the beginning of our friendship. And I was really fortunate to have found someone like her in the city to take me under their wing and guide me and, um, and you know, show me New York. Oh, that's so. a beautiful <laughs> story. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. I think that's the first time that story is publicly revealed. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's special. So yeah. um, I was going to ask you about, you know, your friendship with Gabby anyways. So I would love to know um, why for you it's important for you guys to have each other and support each other on a spiritual path. And like, what are some um, of the things that you've learned from that friendship and being friends with Gabby? Wow, that is a big question because I have learned so much. And um, like everyone else, I'm a very strong believer in supporting and surrounding yourself with um, friends whose value systems you respect and who really encourage the best in you and believe in you at your core. And Gabby is one of those people. We've been, um, we're very fortunate to find one another as friends. I think you can have soulmates in obviously your romantic partner, but you also have friends who are soulmates. And, and that's certainly something that occurred in this relationship. We, um, from day one, she supported me and believed in me and, um, really encouraged me to delve into myself and, and, find my calling in different ways and pursue those callings and and she she doesn't let me escape that she doesn't let me turn away from those voices um so I think honesty and strength are really important ingredients in being a true friend and and she definitely exhibits both of those with me 
and um, we, um, I mean, we, like I've seen a lot in the last seven years and I've seen her grow and I couldn't be more proud of, of where she's come and she really leads by example and I always say if I met Gabby today I, I don't know if I'd believe her story I don't know if I would believe what she'd been through and the depth of her teachings and the honesty of her words and, and her intentions and I've been very fortunate to witness the truth in all of that I've been fortunate to see her blossom and develop and grow and move through every experience that she relates in her books and her stories. And I can proudly stand next to her and say that she's the most incredible power of example to young women today. And I'm honored and um, grateful to have seen that transformation occur with my own eyes. Oh my gosh, I have chills. It's just so amazing. And it's it's funny. I mean, I I obviously found Gabby's work and then I was able to meet her. And there's just something about, you know, I found her work first and I believed it. And I, I love hearing her speak. I love reading her books too, but there's something about hearing her speak that you can really feel it. And then when I met her in person, it was like, oh my gosh, she walks her walk and talks her talk. And they're just so authentic, you know? And it's I think so that that's just really um important for everyone you know who just finds her recently to to understand how real it is right oh absolutely and you know the other thing is that um it's very easy to walk into her lectures now and and she's such an accomplished speaker and it's so professional and she has a room filled with thousands of people and she has another few thousand people who are plugging in online mm-hmm. and it's really just amazing and you just think that it's this machine that's that's operating and I saw it when she had eight people in a room. You know, I saw it when her her audience was just developing and she spoke with the same conviction and the same enthusiasm and the same care, depth of heart and warmth as, as she does today to an audience of thousands. And when you say authenticity, that's someone who's authentic because they're not concerned on the size of the size of their audience. They're not concerned who... Um, like it's not the material numbers it's if you're helping one person it's like you're helping the world Mm, so true it's so amazing and it's so something that she lives by and you know just talking with you a little bit I can understand how you guys are such good friends and um, it's just such a clear example of how relationships are assignments right and Yes. Um, you know, I know that's something that, that she teaches and um, it's it's so clear with you two. So I'd love to talk to you um, a little bit. This this is sort of creepy, but I know that you have a beautiful relationship with your husband and you guys just seem so genuinely happy and in love when I see your photos <laughs> on Instagram. And so Thank I'd love you. if you could talk about that love story. Is that someone you met when you were here in New York or is that someone you knew from back in Australia? So Miguel and I met in New York. And um, you were asking the reasons that I stayed here. So the third reason after my career and my friendships would be my husband. Um, (laughs) We met in New York and and this is where we're building our lives together for now. And um, we also met in another crazy New York story that's very serendipitous in the West Village (laughs) on a rooftop. And um, 
and we met a long time before we started dating, but our paths didn't cross again for a number of years, and and um, finally they did, and one thing led to another. But um, and that's all I'll say for now. <laughs> but um, but yeah, when you say relationships are our biggest assignments, Miguel is my greatest teacher, and and I think he feels the same about me, and we're constantly learning from each other and growing together, and it's. Um, incredibly fulfilling and I'm just as grateful as I am for my good friends I'm even more grateful for an incredible husband um, who I can learn with and learn through Mm, so good you guys just seem so you know in love and I think that's um, that's a true assignment when um, you guys he's your biggest teacher like you said I think that's um, really crucial to any great relationship absolutely and People can be our teachers, but we don't want to recognize what they have to bring us. So yeah. it's very humbling. It's very humbling when you come across someone who has somewhat, something to teach you because it, it means that that's an area that you need to grow in. So it's accepting that that they have a gift to share with you. And, um, and often we don't want to acknowledge that because we don't want to think that we lack in some area. We don't want to think that there is space to change or space to improve because it's a... It's an insult of sorts. So I think um, like that's one of the most important ingredients in any relationship is, is having humility and, and be willing to accept where you are and that there's always place to improve. Mm, so good. And I want to I wanna get back to talking a bit about fashion, but I guess a great transition here is to tell you that I'm obsessed with your wedding dress. It was so, so beautiful. And Thank you so much. So Thank- amazing. I mean, we can't even describe it here just, just talking. I'll, I'll, I should post a picture below with the description. But um, can you talk about that experience of creating your own wedding dress? Yes, yes. That was one of the most um, exciting projects I have embarked on in the past um, few years. So... Obviously, in the fashion industry, you you often get in, like consumed by making more commercial pieces. So this was a couture piece that was definitely a labor of love, and um, and really the evening wear is what I enjoy designing the most. I used to make handmade lace in Australia, and it's a process that takes many many hours, but um, it's an artistic process and something you can really sink your teeth into. So my wedding dress in a similar strain was not commercially viable. It was it was um, really a one-off piece that was made. And I was very fortunate to stumble across a really talented woman who's an amazing, amazing um, technician and, and seamstress. And um, we worked together to create the dress. And um, the technique that, that's used is there are bias-cut satin strips that have each been individually applied to a layer of tool that molds to the body thank you um so when you see the photo you can see there there are many many lines and they gradually increase in in width across the dress and they also move and they they change direction slightly and so each of those lines was mapped out and engineered onto a, a toile which is a sample of the dress that, that you make before you make the final version. And once we had established the flow of those lines, they were used as a blueprint for the final 
for the final gown and each satin strip was sewn individually onto the tool according to that blueprint to create the final piece. And she did an exceptional job in, in executing my vision and, and um, it was many, many hours of labor, but it was well worth it. I, the best thing about it was that I was so comfortable and I could dance and I could move. And, and when I think, when you put on a really beautifully made gown, you're not even thinking of it. And I said to um, my friend after the wedding, I'm like, I don't think I even looked in the mirror when I got dressed because your headspace is not there on the day. You're not worrying so much about what's going on physically. It's such a spiritual day that um, having such a beautifully made dress really helped me um, it helped me remove myself from from the physical because I just put it on and, and it was just perfect and I didn't have to think about it. So in that way, it was um, such a special experience to wear that gown. Wow. I hope that every bride can have that type of experience in their wedding dress. It just sounds so like magnificent and perfect. And man, it's so intricate. I know everybody listening is going to be like, I want to see what they're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, I really hope every bride can have that too. I, I really think that um, it's what what every woman deserves when she's going through such a holy experience. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, it's kind of a perfect transition because I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the connection between fashion and spirituality and wellness and happiness and, and how they're connected. Right. And and that's a really good question. So when I was very much immersed in the fashion industry, I constantly felt a niggling that it wasn't enough. And I think you hear a lot of the you know, people you, you're interviewing that, that say that, that they were embarking on one career and and they thought that that was where they were they were meant to go and, and they um had their dream laid out in front of them and and there's this like little stirring inside that says hang on I think I think there's more than this I don't think that this is enough and for me that was really a spiritual calling and I I found that my work although it was you know on some level creatively fulfilling not completely but on many levels it was um I felt this need for some spiritual nourishment and being in New York, as I said, there is a, there's a niche for everything. And I was very fortunate to come across, um, incredibly insightful and thoughtful, wise spiritual teachers quite early on in my time here. And I'm Jewish. So most of the spiritual learning that, that I do formally comes from the Jewish religion and that's my heritage and that's the tradition that I've grown up with that I find to be very rich and very fulfill, fulfilling. And um, initially I, I started engaging through books and I was reading more and I was reading different spiritual teachers and, you know, Gabrielle would recommend me to read Marianne Williamson so I devoured that and then there would be, you know, Pema Chodron and I devoured that and that was, you know, happening alongside my more formal Jewish education where I would go to lessons with different teachers. And, and I was just really blown away by how much my um, mind and my heart expanded by absorbing all of this information that I, that I hadn't really paid much attention to before, even though it was always part of my soul and always part of um, my thought process. I'd never really formally 
engaged and, and read this type of literature before. And um, over the years, that's become a more, um, how should I say, like the scales of tips so that it hasn't just become that my work is one spectrum and then I just read tidbits on the side. My spiritual learning and nourishment has become equal in weight, if not a greater imp- of greater importance than the creative work I do. And they really have begun to flow together. I wouldn't say it's seamless because, um, because I haven't found that, that particular vocation where my spiritual undertakings and my creative work are completely harmoniously intertwined. But, but more and more they um, exist together and they complement one another. And, um, and I, I also come across a lot of people who, who have that, that particular dilemma. They say, oh, I, I work in graphic design, but, but I love to help young women. Or, oh, I work in, um, you know, Nidika was saying in one of your interviews, I worked in real estate, but I, I wanted to start Bella Life, you know. And Gabby was working in, she was working in PR and, and she worked out that she had to help young women and help them find their true calling and find happiness. So, so there, there is a lot of this um, interplay between some, a path that we expect to go upon and then infusing that with our soul's calling and infusing that with a more spiritual backbone and, and feeding ourselves and then feeding the people we come across um, with all the information that we have been gifted together. So good. And I think also, you know, I know something for me too is also like being patient with the journey too, you know, like um, I, I love that, you know, what Nidika said and what Gabby said about, you know, they were doing something different and, you know, there's, it comes a point where you want to be, you know, doing what you want to do right then, but you have to, you know, kind of be patient and, and grateful that each one of those things, you know, happened in your life and got you to where you are. So I think that's been super inspiring for me. Yeah, that's so true. And um, it's, as you say, it's it's very much a part of the journey. It's, it's not rushing into things and it's seeing how they present themselves to you. Mm, so good. Yeah, so true. So I would love to ask you personally a little bit about your um, spiritual practice and any meditation practice you have and how you just stay centered and grounded but also inspired to do your creative work great question so um i have a few little daily rituals that i like to engage in and um the first the first one and the last one is the way i wake up and the way i go to sleep i think it's really really easy especially today to be consumed and distracted by our friendships and our technology and so many different things that that um, take our focus away from ourselves. And so it's really important for me in the morning and at night to, re- to recalibrate and to take my focus inward on to, to soul nourishment. So in the morning, I will, you know, like in my mind mentally, when I open my eyes, I say, thank you. Like I say, thank you for my soul coming into my body. I say, thank you for having a new day. And I try and turn my thoughts to the positive of that day before I grab my phone and I check my emails and I make my phone calls and, and I do that. So it's, it's really a, a mental 
shift that will occur very consciously. I didn't always do this. It's a very conscious decision that when I open my eyes, the first thing I'm going to do is give a thought of thanks to God, the universe, the greater spirit that we have that's allowing us to engage in another day and participate in the world. And then equally so, before I go to sleep, I have the same thought of thanks and I say a prayer for all the people I love and I care about and, and people that I don't know, but my heart feels for them. And I, and I, I go into sleep in the spirit of reflection and I find that having this transition allows me to consider my thoughts. It allows me to consider my day. It um, helps me focus on the things that are important to me. And again, it takes me away from the chaos of the day, which can be very stressful and and very turbulent. Um, So they're two anchors that I have. And the third thing that I, I try and do is I try and learn something every day. So I try and read spiritual texts or I try and read a source of um, Jewish literature or um, scripture or I, I try and listen to something inspirational. And definitely when I work now freelance, so I work um, from home, but when I was in the workforce, I found that having these moments during the day where I could focus my mind away from the office and away from the chaos of the workforce and read something spiritual, they were they were my anchors during the day. They were like momentary meditations where I could help my mind shift back to what my soul felt was important, which wasn't getting a button from China on time. It was what's my purpose here. And, and reading these types of information really soothed me and calmed me and, and helped me get back on track. So apart from that, um, I don't always meditate. I, like I wouldn't say I participate in formal meditation on a daily basis. That's something that it's a practice that I Um, try to engage in but it's not formal and it doesn't happen every day Um, but I always find that there are different movement meditations which help me so going to yoga classes and um, there's a dance meditation practice called the five rhythms which um, was really life-changing when I started to do it and and I enjoy that it's a type of um, spontaneous dance So I think that there are ways we can find meditation which don't necessarily involve sitting on a cushion, although that is important and it's very important to integrate. Um, Everyone has their own branch of meditation that they'll gravitate towards. Mm, For sure. And I I really like that you said that. I think that's a really, really good point that, you know, a lot of people can relate to. So I love your morning and evening practices. And so I would love if we could... um, go through your morning and evening routines a little bit more specifically and maybe you could tell me like the first few things you do when you wake up after you say your prayer and why that's important for how the rest of your day goes and maybe like the last three things you do in the evening. Sure. Um, Okay, so I would also say that, that no two days are exactly the same. And it definitely is seasonal because, as we were saying before earlier on, that that even though I would like to get out and walk right now, I I'm Hibernate. so to do it with the cold. Yeah. Um, so you know, then on like on a normal day, I guess I would um, 
have breakfast straight away because my stomach calls in the morning. Do you eat the same and, thing for breakfast every day? What are some of your favorite things? I have like a really great, like one of the Nature's Path cereals that I have with fruit and um, I drink almond milk. So that's um, that's what I usually have in the mornings. And, um, and then sometimes I'll take a walk if it's warmer weather. That's usually mm-hmm. what happens. And... And then either I'll go to a yoga class or I'll um, or I'll get straight into my work, and um, and that's often sitting at a desk. But then sometimes it's going on excursions and going to different places to source fabrics or to meet people. Um, so every day will take a different a different turn. Mm, so good. And then how do and you I would say that my mornings are perfect? You know, sometimes I read things or I hear things, and there's like this routine of waking up and exercising straight away and and eating perfectly and then it's um I think like it's it's just a work in progress some days you feel more lethargic than others some days you're more inspired than others and it's really important to listen to what your body needs especially in this time of year yes absolutely and not getting wrapped up in shoulds I think that's really important for people to hear too totally so what about what are some of your favorite ways to relax and wind down at the end of the day? I love to read. So if I can read, I always will. And because my family is in Australia, it usually works out for me to speak to them right at the end of the day here because they're like 16 hours ahead at the moment. <laughs> so they're tomorrow and then some. Like they're, they're in the future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ask them whatever you want to know. <laughs> They'll reveal all the secrets. So um, usually my night times are spent um, with my husband. Um, he also loves to read, so that's perfect. We can sit next to each other and Aww. read and, um, and, and speaking to my family at home and, and really just pulling myself away from the computer, which is such a lucrative machine. Yes, yes, so true. So I would love your advice on this. So... When you do have a negative thought or a thought of fear, worry, or something come into your mind, do you have what do you do to pivot that thought and reach for a better one and just like trust and know you're supported? Do you have like a kind of go-to system to kind of get yourself back when you come out? Yeah, um, I think that's a that's a really um, easy place to fall into and I think it's a really difficult habit for all of us to climb out of and I think it's something that that um, will exist no matter what we do. And for me, the first step is reminding myself that that isn't my truest self that's speaking. That's a different part of myself. That's not my authentic self. That's not my soul's voice that's speaking in that in that moment. That fear is someone else speaking. It's something else speaking in my mind. Um, so the consciousness that it's not the best part of myself, it's not the most authentic part of myself, allows me to separate from that thought. And, um, and then just gently telling it to go away that's that's how i combat it i recognize that it's it's not real it's not the most authentic part of me and then i allow it to pass by now that doesn't mean the thought's not going to come back because a negative thought will reappear you know as many times as it wants to 
but that constant choice that we have to accept that it's not true, it's not ours, and we don't have to engage with it, we don't have to participate with it, um, is a really important step in the process. Mm, so good. I, I want to like take notes on that whole part. It's so important, I think, for people to hear, and um, myself included. I think that's like super awesome advice. Thank you. But but the I think like the, the crux of it, of it is like your mind will always say what it wants to say and that, that there will be positive things and they will be negative things and, and it's, you have the choice of how to deal with those thoughts that float in and out of your headspace. Mm, so good. I just had to like let that sink in for a second. Um, yeah. I love that. So getting back to fashion for a second here, I would love to know um, – where you see fashion in, say, 10 years and, and where you would like to see it? Wow, that's such a good question. <laughs> that's not something I have thought about recently. Um, so, look, there's, there's good and bad. In, in 10 years, um, I think the, the industry, so much of it is affected by um, – like the the in the fashion that that we are able to consume the fashion that's at our fingertips um so much of it is affected by industry and how industry is changing and there was a big shift towards producing in in asia um and i think and i hope that a lot of the production that was taken offshore in the past um 10 15, 20 years will start coming back to local grounds, be that in the US or in Australia or wherever the designers are. Um, I hope to see them um, engaging more with local industry and, and redeveloping that local industry because it, a, lot, a lot of it disappeared, especially in New York. We had a really, really thriving garment district and now there's a movement that's, um, I think it's called Save the Garment District or they have protests that are called Save the Garment District because so many of the local vendors here and the craftspeople in New York were, um, they, they lost their work because so much of it was taken offshore for price reasons, for um, space reasons, different types of capacity. But, but I do hope that we um, continue to see this trend of, of bringing craftsmanship back to um, the US and, and back to wherever the designers are coming from. And, um, and so I think that's, that's one thing to look forward to. I think the, another thing is obviously with fashion, it's so influenced now by um, social media and, and by the internet and the capacities that you have online. So I think that's a really exciting forum for designers to be engaging in. And, and you have, um, you know, websites that allow you to purchase straight off the runway and design is so much more accessible and and like with every industry the expert is no longer just limited to the editor of a magazine but the spectator and um every every viewer becomes their own expert in a way um which has pros and cons i'm not um I'm not saying that there's only good in that, but it, but it's nice to hear the voice that everyone wants to put out there and to see what they respond to. And I think for designers, it's it's really amazing to have that immediate re, immediate response available to you and the 
um, emotion of your audience can be far more easily gauged when you can engage with them online as opposed to waiting for a buyer from a department store to give you an order and then seeing how that order pulls through really a year after you've presented your collection. There's so much more of an immediate response which can be really helpful. It's so interesting. I love that. It's so cool to hear somebody so um, in the industry giving this perspective. It's it's super exciting. Yeah, so I don't know if that says where we're going to be in 10 years. <laughs> I don't think we're going to be walking around in spacesuits or anything like that, but, but we'll be pushing forward like every other industry and, and hopefully innovating. It's very important to innovate. I love that. I love that. I couldn't agree more. So my next question for you is, what are you doing in your life that you're afraid of, but you're doing anyways? How are you challenging yourself? Mm. So um, I would say a lot of my um, like spiritual learning, and I'm reluctant to say teaching, but, but that's what I'm pursuing at the moment. Um, I would like to share more of what I'm learning from a spiritual perspective, and, and I'm beginning to do that, but I would say that's... Um, I forgot the word that you use, but the greatest challenge that I have right now um, is accepting that where I'm at is good enough to be a teacher and that, that I have information that people can learn from. And, um, you know, you, you have so many people who you're learning from who have incredible, incredible wells of wisdom and they access that wisdom from such depth within themselves and, and such depth of knowledge and so many years of learning. Um, and recently, through no choice of my own necessarily, I've been invited by different friends and, and in very informal circumstances to share what I've been learning for the past seven years from a spiritual Jewish perspective. And, and, um, and I find that in those moments, when I've just been telling them what I have received from others, really, it's, it's just been downloaded from person to person in a sense. Um, there's such an amazing transformation that happens. There's such an eye-opening reaction that I have that, that Judaism, which seems like an antiquated religion and it seems so sterile and it seems inaccessible, um, I see this surprise in the people who listen to what I say that they, that there are these treasures and, and it's relatable and it's, it's suddenly accessible. And, and I'm so, um, my heart really warms to see that reaction in them. And, and I feel it's very important for me to continue sharing what I'm learning because there are such profound truths and there's so much um, wisdom that, that um, I've been receiving and that it's been a gift to receive that and and I think um, it's our responsibility when we learn something to share it and so that's what I'm struggling with now because on the one hand it's very humbling um, to see teachers who have so much um, more life experience and they have so much more wisdom than you have and so much more cumulative years of, of sharing that knowledge but on the other hand you've received so much from them that it's irresponsible not to share it. If you're holding on to wisdom, if you're holding on to information, if you're holding on to something that can help another person, it's your responsibility to put that into the world and continue the ripple effect because the, the people that you inspire will in turn inspire others. Mm, so good. And I think, I think Gabby says something about that, like with you not sharing, you're robbing the world of your gifts, right? 
So Absolutely. I think, you know, for you, like, like right now, you know, you're doing it and um, the world needs you and you're just, you're so awesome at it. So I, th I think that's really great that you're embracing it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, it's an important teaching that we're all put into this world with very specific gifts and very specific capacities and talents and they're ours to uncover and they're ours to use and no one else can help us use them. So true. It's funny. It reminds me of um, when I had first found Gabby and I had just graduated from college and, um, and I don't think I've ever told this story, but I was so excited and I just loved her and I was like, that's what I want to do. I, I just, I want to, I want to be her right now, you know? And, yeah. and, and I, um, and I called into her radio show and I remember saying like, I just, I think you're amazing. Like, blah, blah, blah. It was just like, I was so starstruck, you know, that I got on. Yes. And, <laughs> and then she was like, um, she just like kind of calmed me down. She was like, you're, you are the guru. You are the teacher. And um, we are the same, you know, like, because I had made her, you know, as she says, so special. Like, and I, and I still do. I still struggle with it. But like, I had made her so, so special. And, you know, something and then I was able to intern with her and, and get to know her and, and something she really like kept teaching me, you know, just beautiful person who, just like we were talking about before, is everything they seem to be, right? But, you know, she was just instilling in me that like, Yes, she's special, but so am I, and so are you, and so is everyone who's listening. And and that's powerful, but at the same time, really a lot for my ego to get. You know, my ego still, like, doesn't really get behind the fact that, like, me and Gabby are both special. Like, it's really hard for me to understand, you know, but it's that's what she's constantly teaching, and that's, um, you know, all of us struggle with that. And I think that was so beautiful that you gave that example and shared that with everyone. Yeah, I think your example is also incredible. I think it's something that um, the, everyone struggles with, regardless of how accomplished you are, there's, there's always someone who stepped before you and, and you must take that as an example and an inspiration and, and accept that if they have the power to um, participate in the world in that realm, that you also have the ability to participate in the same way. Mm, so good. So good. So let's wrap with some quick fire questions. You ready for them? I think so. <laughs> okay. All right. So just say like the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. So favorite color? Oh, that's so hard. I love all <laughs> colors. Um, uh, pink. Favorite designer? Mm, Lacroix. Favorite day of the week? Friday. Favorite hour of the day? Mm. Six o'clock. Favorite fashion trend? Bohemian. One fashion trend that you would not want to see resurface? <laughs> I don't know, hypercolor? <laughs> Favorite garment you've ever created? I think I might know the answer to this one. <laughs> It would be my wedding dress and one of my lace dresses, handmade lace dresses. It has to be a toss-up. <laughs> <laughs> um, favorite part of living in New York? Mm, my husband and my friends. What do you miss most about living in Australia? My family. Favorite vegetable? 
capsicum, peppers. That's peppers here. That's so funny, that word. <laughs> I, I remember like a couple of years ago, I like read that. I was like, what the heck is that? And then I, yeah, and then the I capsicum. It sounds so exotic. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, favorite fruit? Mm, pineapple. Favorite way to relax? The beach. Favorite meal you've eaten recently? Chicken stir fry last night. Um, what does your ideal day look like? Um, being somewhere warm, waking up, going for a walk on the beach, having breakfast with my friends and family, spending the day talking, painting, discussing life, um, being with the ones that I love. And um, I could just be with them for the rest of the day. I'll have dinner with them <laughs> and we'll talk some more. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it, it would be. <laughs> what is one superhero power you would want to have for a day? Mm. Being able to clearly hear everything that my heart was saying oh that's beautiful so that's a lot more deep than you know flying that's like i know awesome. make make a hollywood blockbuster about that yeah seriously <laughs> i love it um what is your favorite beauty ritual hmm um i would say coconut oil moisture so good yeah from Thailand. <laughs> what is one food that you eat every day or almost every day? Almonds. Oh, nice. And my next question was, what is your favorite on-the-go snack? That might be it. <laughs> Almonds, probably, yeah. Nice. What is the best advice you've ever received? Hmm. Wow. <sighs> it's a tough one. Okay. Um, from someone who didn't even know that I was dating at the time, but I happened to be dating Miguel. And, um, and they said to find a life partner who's doesn't have to be exactly where you are, but they're moving in the same direction as you. Ooh, that's really good. I want to write that one down for sure. Okay. <laughs> that was important for me. So good. Because um, we weren't in the same place, but we were moving in the same direction. Oh, so good. Do you have a favorite movie? Um, no, maybe The Sound of Music, childhood favorite. Nice. What about a favorite book? Oh, um, no, I couldn't say one. Maybe one of Gabby's books. One of Gabby's books to be politically correct. <laughs> yes, her books are very instrumental in my life. Um, favorite song? Um, anything by the Beatles um, or George Harrison, um, My Sweet Lord. Nice. So, okay, so the last question I have for you, um, as you know, the name of my blog and the name of this podcast is The Wellness Wonderland. So when I offer that term to you, The Wellness Wonderland, what does it mean to live in a wellness wonderland to you? I think The Wellness Wonderland I have a vision of this like colorful space where a girl is just dancing through life, through fields, and, and she seems really content with herself and at peace with herself on a, a, a really 
harmonious vibration with the world and and able to give and receive in equal measure and able to um, flow with what the universe gives her and and really um, embrace the world that she's in. Mm, that sounds like exactly everything I want it to be. I want us to just dance to the Beatles and do five rhythms and eat almonds and hang out with you and Gabby. It's, that's, that's my wellness wonderland. Yeah, no, I can see it. And your website is so beautiful. It definitely conveys that spirit. Oh my gosh, you're so sweet. Well, thank you so much, Michaela. And thank you everyone for listening. And we will see you soon. Thank Bye. you so much for having me. Bye. Thanks for listening. You made it all the way to the end. I'll be back next week, but until then, let's stay inspired and keep this conversation going. So tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout, and our guest with your aha moments from this conversation. And like the Wellness Wonderland on Facebook, so we can all hang out there and discuss how inspired we are and how we'll apply it in our daily lives. And never miss another episode or post from me by signing up for email updates on thewellnesswonderland.com. See you back in Wonderland.